Hello and welcome to the Sovereign Collective Podcast, where we bring you real raw truth for your self-empowerment. I'm your host, Sasha Calavota, and I believe that you can stand on your own two feet, but that you don't have to do it alone. I love learning from people who continually strive to raise the bar, to go against mainstream thinking, and who dare to question the general consensus. People are risking ridiculed or even risk the loss of their professional status as they bravely question the common narratives and challenge the rest of us to expand our minds and to reconsider what we think we already know. Join me in learning how to take control of your health and your mind so that you can have the energy to think more clearly and the confidence to step up and take responsibility for all aspects of your life. We promise to never censor here because I believe you are strong enough to hear the real raw truth to make up your own mind. If you like what you find here at the Sovereign Collective Podcast, then please share with your friends and family. I so appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. And now on to the show. Hi, y'all. This is Sasha here for two quick announcements before we get on to our interview for today. First of all, if you are looking for quality supplements, quality tonic herbs, some specialty food items, and you're in and around Calgary, then please go check out Lotus Herbal Health, a great family-run store that has two locations in Calgary. You can find them at lotusherbalhealth.ca to find out where their locations are, or you can shop online and they will pretty much deliver anywhere. So quality supplements, tonic herbs, great staff, check out lotusherbalhealth.ca. Secondly, I want to announce the relaunch of my program called Your Conscious Pregnancy and Parenting Guide, which consists of experts in their fields around the world on consciousness and parenting and education and nutrition and dentistry and homeopathy and more. This is a program I created after my son was born about 10 years ago, a little bit more than that. And I am now very concerned after the events of 2020 for our future generations. And I believe the time is now for conscious parenting and for conscious parents to rise up and take, to take back our pregnancies and our births and our parenting and the resilience of our children and of future generations. The time is now. We change the course of history by changing the course of our future generations. And we do that by consciously raising them, consciously birthing them, consciously conceiving them, feeding them good food, and taking back the responsibility of raising healthy, well-adjusted, robust people. Resilience. It's time to build resilience. So please go check out sovereigncollective.org forward slash get the guide, and you will be able to check out all of the amazing material in there. It's time for us to understand how our worldviews are formed, how our self-views are formed, and how to impact that and how that impacts the society on a whole. So check it out, sovereigncollective.org forward slash get the guide. And now on to the show. Hey everyone, it's Sasha here with another exciting interview for the Sovereign Collective podcast. I'm super, super excited about this one today. I'm with Veda Austin today, who is a water researcher. She's an author of the book. What is the book called again? The Secret Intelligence of Water. And my friend just made, gave me a really great idea, by the way, today. She says, I'm going to get that for like a Christmas present. I'm like, I'm going to buy that for a bunch of Christmas presents. So I hope <laughs> we have time to do that because we're getting close to Christmas. I'm a very last minute Christmas shopper. But anyways, back to Veda. She's a mother. She's an artist. She's a water researcher. And what I love about her and her energy is that she's curious and she's open to the mysteries and the wonders of the universe and of water. And through her work, she shares with us that water's it, it's intelligent. It, it's, I don't know if it's a being or a substance or a what, but it, it conveys intelligence. It conveys emotion and it, and you can see it like the proof is right there in her pictures and in her videos. And, 
it's super, super fascinating. And Veda sees water as source, not as a resource. And I think as a whole, humanity can really learn from that because we just feel like we can direct it as we want. We can block it up. We can dam it up. We can pollute it. We can filter it and you know put it through all these unnatural pipes and things like that. And we don't respect it. And, and there's no life without it, but there's so much more than just simply drinking a glass of water and maybe hydrating yourself to some extent or not, depending on the quality of that water. There's so much more conveyed in that water. And as a result, I have so many questions that I want to answer, ask, and we'll see what we get through. But I think you're going to be super floored by this interview today. So thank you, Veda, for joining me today. I am really, really excited about our talk. It's my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. And you'll have to excuse me because I do have a little bit of a cold, but um, but I wouldn't, nothing would have stopped me from doing this interview because I feel this work is so important and your energy and clear understanding of, of water um, is actually really obvious just with the few things you've said in the introduction. So again, I'm delighted to be here and to be speaking with you today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So my pleasure, the pleasure is mine. And now before we get into like the actual of your work, can we, like you have, what I didn't mention also is you have a crazy healing story about water. I was telling that to my son today. And he's like, gross. And we'll, we'll talk about that and what was happening to you. But it's insane. So what made you even think to do what you're doing and explain your work to our to my audience? Because I'm sure many don't know what I'm talking about. Sure. So the work itself is sort of um, essentially I inspire water somehow, whether it be through consciousness, through imagery, through media, through music, through emotion, any of these different kinds of inspiring influences while it's in the liquid stage. And then I freeze it using my technique. My technique has changed over the years. I used to completely freeze water solid. And now my process takes under five minutes because I identified that there are two types of water in water informed and uninformed water. And informed water adheres to the glass petri dish within minutes. And uninformed water, otherwise the water that hasn't taken on the information, stays liquid much longer than the informed water. And so this is essentially the process of what I do. So I've been working as a water researcher for the last eight and a half years. But as you said, I had a healing experience. So people often ask me, when did you first started having a connection with water? And I always say, we've always had a connection with water. There's never been a time that we haven't had a connection with water. Even the way we're conceived, we're conceived through fluids. Water has accompanied us throughout our lifetime. So there's never been a time during our lifetime that we haven't had a connection with water. We are bodies of water connecting to other bodies of water, whether that be in a human body, an animal body, nature body, or a body of water that we see as an ocean or a stream or a lake. And so come bringing back to the healing experience that I had, I was in a horrendous car accident uh, around 24 years ago. We went under a seven-ton truck, rolled twice, and the driver was decapitated. And it was considered one of the worst accidents in New Zealand where someone survived. I remember that there was um, 
actually there was some uh, video footage of the car wreck that was shown on the news and my friend who didn't realize that I'd been in there that I was in that accident actually said I can't believe anyone could have ever survived that because the car was absolutely wrecked and all that you could really see was there was this little bubble around where I was and so over the course of 20 odd years I had eight surgeries and most of them were related to the car accident because the seatbelt wrapped around my my waist and crushed my a lot of my internal organs so I had a lot of internal bleeding that left scar tissue on my small bowel so every time I try and eat over over about a year that scar tissue grew kind of cutting my digestive system off so when I would try and eat food I would have now that I've had children I would have what felt like contractions and then I would just vomit and vomit and vomit and it was excruciatingly painful so when I had bowel surgery um, that helped a lot but then scar tissue grew where they sewed the bowel up so then I had another surgery and another surgery and I had stage 4 endometriosis so then I had surgery for that as well so three doctors told me that I would never be able to have children because of all the damage that had happened to my reproductive organs and the internal organs from the bleeding from the endometriosis. So I had a child for every doctor that told me I couldn't. <laughs> and, um, but, and in saying that, I started to um, learn a lot more about my own biosystem. The last surgery that I had I didn't recover very well from and when I woke up the doctors said that I had had showers of blood clots in my lungs um, occur during the surgery then they were working on my bowel and so then they said they wanted me to be on warfarin which is essentially a blood thinner and I've always lived a very holistic life from the age of eight I told my mother that I didn't want to eat meat anymore because I didn't realize that it was animals so until then I realized that I said I don't want to eat it anymore and gratefully she was an amazing mum and she just allowed me to, to do that and help me do that. Then um, I've never smoked a cigarette, I've never done any drugs and I've never drunk alcohol. And so they were always my, my natural tendencies as this being that I am. And so I also don't like taking pharmaceutical medicines. So when I was told and fed the fear that I should be on warfarin, granted it's a very serious thing to have blood clots in your lungs. Um, I didn't, I was in resistance to that, but I did for a period of time and when the doctor said my lungs were clear, um, I started really wanting to make sure that my body maintained its optimum health. And I had a doctor friend, and a, he's a, a medical doctor, but also practices Ayurvedic medicine. And he said, look, just totally off the record, perhaps you might like to start trying and drinking natural, emphasis on natural, not ionized, natural alkaline water, and it might just help your body to come back into some balance. So when you get blood clots, you're, essentially your cells are starting to become sticky and they start going more down in the alkalinity. And so they start forming something called rouleaux, which start to clump and stick together. And so essentially, he was suggesting that this type of alkaline water might just help my body to just stay in some stability. 
And so I thought, well, okay, that seems easy. It's just drinking water. Let's do that anyway. So I started looking and finding uh, more alkaline waters. And so the level of alkalinity essentially on the chart goes up to 14. It's 1 to 14. And 7 is your where distilled water sits. 7 sort of neutral. And um, anything above a 7 is alkaline. And anything under a 7 is acidic. And so I was drinking waters that were alkaline above a 7. So around the sort of 7.7, 7.8, 8.5, all around there. And I did two-week trials on myself. So I became the guinea pig of my own health. And outside of generally feeling hydrated, I didn't notice anything specific. Not that I expected to. So much goes on within this human container of water that we don't see. And so we can only kind of explain how we feel rather than see what's going on within the body. So I felt more hydrated. Eventually, because I had a wellness center, and so um, one of my clients came to me and she said, you know, I, why don't you try this, this old guy's water? He has um, his own private water source. He's only giving the water to cancer patients. And the pH, or it stands for potential or power of hydrogen, out of the ground is 9.9. .9. And I'm like, wow, that's got to be one of the highest natural pH waters I've ever heard of. And she said, people are having amazing results. You know, just go and talk to him about your situation. So I went and I saw him and he gave me a month's worth of this water to drink. And within three days, and this is very, I mean, I've been doing trials on myself now with different alkaline waters for some time. But within three days of drinking this particular water, I noticed that... Uh, something really important was happening in my body that a lot of people don't like to talk about because it sounds gross, but that's bowel motions. Mm -hmm. So there is such a lot of people sitting on the toilet for an hour trying to push a, a tiny little rock-hard pebble out. And this is, a, is usually a problem of dehydration. So people, a lot of people just don't like water. They don't want to drink water. They drink other fluids. Whereas water sometimes can really can start looking at water as a medicine because when you're not drinking enough water, uh, your body has these reactions and constipation is often one of them. And so after having so much bowel surgery, I noticed a really positive change in bowel motions and that's a real sign and indicator of your internal health. And so then on day, between around about day 10, I noticed all these bumps coming up along my arm and along my jaw and they were really painful and I'm like I knew my body was kind of purging but I didn't exactly know what was coming out and when I would touch them they were they really hurt and it felt like there was something in there so I ended up kind of getting some tweezers on the one that was the most raised and angry and I, I kind of started picking at it and something came out and it was this little shard of green glass and between day 10 and day 12 27 pieces of green glass were pulled out of my how body big were they? how big tiny tiny little shards like i don't know if you can yeah, yeah, yeah. like t really small but they create quite large lumps because your body's having a reaction to purging them out and so i'm like Oh my God, I know where these are from. 
because the fact that they were green made suddenly everything made sense to me. When I had that car accident, bearing in mind this is nearly 20 years later, the man who was driving the car had owned a nightclub and in the back of his car he had all these crates of Steinlager beer bottles and they are green glass. So when the car rolled, um, I had gone like this with my arm to try to instinctively protect my face. And so some of the windscreen went through. I got more of the windscreen that came through on this side and a lot of that green glass went through on my right side. And so it was this green glass that was embedded in my body that was actually purging its way out. And it's disgusting and amazing at the same time because it's kind of gross to like pull all this glass out. And one of my biggest fears is that something would come out of my eye, some glass would come oh, out of wow. my eye or something, which yeah. was probably an irrational thought, but it was still there. <laughs> and, and so I see all this glass and the only thing I had done differently was drink this particular type of water. So that's what I was going to ask. You weren't fasting. You didn't change your diet. No, I didn't change my diet. And, and because I was already trialing these waters, I was very mindful not to change my diet, not to change my skincare routine, not to do anything out of the ordinary. And so then because I had such a reaction, I was like, well, is it, the, is it just a coincidence? Is it just me that's responsive to this type of water? And because I had the wellness center, I started asking people that weren't well and, and also people who were very well and very healthy if they wouldn't mind trialing the water too. And so I ended up trialing quite a number of people over, over the course of two years on eight-week on eight trials. And everyone had a specific, well, not a specific reaction. Everyone had their own individual reaction. So on the whole, everyone who was healthy and very unwell had more energy, but everybody's eyesight improved to the degree that one woman had to change the prescription on her glasses because her eyesight had improved so greatly. If you consider that our eye lens is 99% highly ordered structured water, it's interesting because what I discovered with this type of water is that it had fourth phase water in it, it, which essentially is there's a liquid solid gas and then a type of gel or plasma, which is considered the fourth phase of water. It has interesting properties in that it absorbs more light, it has a negative charge, it, um, which means it has a negative oxidation reduction potential, which means it's an antioxidant rather than oxidant. Um, it has, it's, it's got a higher pH it's in, in the sense that it's more alkaline. Um, and it is more viscous in that it's got more of a viscosity about it. And our body converts H2O into H3O2, which is, well, it has, so it means that the water molecule has one extra hydrogen and one extra oxygen atom. So this water within our cells is, is actually the water that we drink, it's converted into the special type of fourth phase water, which because kind of operates as the battery to our cells. So it, it's very interesting when you look for it, and the reason I bring it up is that I have personally um, looked for it um, using the technique that Dr. Gerald Pollock uses in his lab. And the way you look for fourth phase water is really interesting. 
So you get a beaker of whatever water you're using. You put something called microspheres in it, which essentially will show you movement. Then you put something called a Nafion tube in there, which is like a little see-through tube. And then when you look through a microscope, if there is fourth phase water present, you'll see that the water self-propels through the tube without any help. Essentially, it's its own free energy source. And so it's a very interesting thing when you think how this is working within our cell, the cells of our body. And by molecular count, not by volume, we are 99% water. There are more water molecules in our body than stars in the Milky Way. We are incredibly sophisticated water systems. And so as I started to observe the, the, what was special about this water, it did have all of those attributes. It, um, it, it also was interesting because I did lots and lots of tests with it. Um, and one of them was that I would let it sit outside in the sun in a container for a long period of time, which by long I mean about three weeks. And what you saw very quickly with this water is that it started to grow a type of algae on it when exposed to the sunlight. And it, it's because it has all of the properties that create life. It has water, it has minerals, and it has light. And this algae started to grow, and when we tested the algae to see what kind of algae it was, it was a type of spirulina. Oh, wow. Very curious and interesting to me is that certain medicinal properties, of certain medicinal plants will grow in certain environments, and this water seemed to create an environment for this medicinal plant or medicinal algae. And that was very interesting given, um, given everything that I was finding out about this type of water. But then I wanted to look further into it. And I'm like, well, okay, I can look at all of what's in the water. And that's what we tend to do on a more scientific level. You, you send water to a lab to get an analysis. And it says what's in the water. Right. Essentially what holds the water. So it looks for how much how total dissolved salts and solids and it looks for like all the different things that you look for in water but that's what's in water if you think about what is water outside of all of the salts and the minerals and the maybe the heavy metals or the things that it's picked up along its journey what is water and then i started really wondering about that and then i started really researching into the new science of water not the old science of water the new science of water of which there is that is beginning to really flourish and people like Dr. Gerald Pollack and um, Rupert Sheldrake, Sheldrake and um, uh, Luke Montanur and all these amazing people are starting to show us that water isn't just what we always thought it was it's so much more and those people are starting to move into the realm of at least playing with the idea of the intertwinement of consciousness and water. At the very least, that consciousness can impact water and water can store information. At the very most, the two are interconnected. And so there are very different researchers on either side of that spectrum, within that spectrum. Um, and so then, of course, Masaru Emoto's work came out um, and he, and, this, and the, the old 
the, the old water science community, the traditional scientific community, they didn't embrace his work. Um, they had all kinds of reasons for that. But what did happen was that thousands, millions of people around the world, uh, they saw his work and they saw his photos and they were able to identify themselves as bodies of water that are sensitive to thought and environment. And when you see his work was very much in contrast, the word love creates beautiful geometries, the word hate, the water fails to create geometry. And so he would flash freeze water after it had been exposed to an influence. And then someone else who really inspired me, and I recommend people look him up, he's a French um, microscopic photographer by the name of Laurent Costa. And what I loved about Laurent's ethos is that he didn't want to influence water. He thought and believed and still believed that water is his spiritual teacher and that water on its own has something to share and to say. So rather than influence the water, he simply invited the water to share what it would. And water started to design outside of its general normal ways of designing, which is to design in geometries. It started to design in imagery that we can recognize. For example, a perfect heart, lots of different types of happy faces, a fish, and various things like that. And what, as Laurent was doing this work, each image was quite relative to something that was going on his in his life at the time. And so he was forming relationship with water in a, in a new way, in a, in a different way. And then the third person that inspired me to really jump into this work and investigate for myself was um, a man by the name of Thomas Hieronymus. And he was a radionic engineer. And he observed something interesting. He observed that when he went into a Parisian meat market, the freshly placed organs of an animal appeared to be affecting the way the frost froze on the glass behind where they were placed. For example, the shape of a liver was appearing in the frost above where the liver organ was placed and so on and so on for all the different shapes of the organs. And so he was looking at a macroscopic version of the microscopic. This was something he could identify with his naked eye. And his idea about why this was happening was that he believed that there was still some kind of life force energy emanating from the organ, even though it was no longer attached to a body, because there was water in the blood. And he believed that water held some kind of memory and some form of consciousness. And so then I took all of that information as well as my experiences with water healing me and recognizing that water can be a medicine and wanting to know what makes this different and wanting to understand more about how on earth all this glass was purged out of me. And I started looking more into the spiritual sciences or the consciousness of science perhaps might be a nicer word because it might not scare too many people. Mm -hmm. And then you start looking at what Tesla said. If you want to learn the secrets of the universe, look at energy and frequency and these kinds of things. And so I started to look at my body as a living piece of music 
is a living vibrating piece of a symphony with lots and lots of cells playing music. And what I learned and believed, and this is a very, very long story short, is that this water I was drinking held a certain frequency that was very specific. And because I was getting it directly from source, I was really getting it at its most premium state. And there was something within my body that recognized that sound, that absorbed that frequency of the water. And that then started to recognize that there were parts within my body, things in my body that weren't supposed to be there, that had almost been ignored before. And just like an opera singer can sing such a high note and absolutely you know, break glass, it was as if that was what was going on in my body and this frequency from this water and this energetic was what purged this glass out of my body in such a dramatic fa fashion and so swiftly. It wasn't just every here and there. It was such a purge. And then my state of health really changed. I no longer have any symptoms of endometriosis, even though I've had surgery and all of that thing. So many doctors will tell you, you'll never get rid of it until you go through menopause and then the damage is still done. And so I, had, I, I actually started to really step into a new type of health. But then there's the biology of belief that comes into play. And so once I saw my body could heal, then my body knew it could heal. And so there was nothing really stopping it. I didn't have to use this type of water as my crutch. What I realized is that my body is a body of water and that actually my thoughts create the state of health within my body and that we're liquid crystal antennas picking up all the information in all of the external world. But we also have the internal world of which we are very much able to be part of. We actually don't give ourselves the strength or the power because we tend to think other people need to heal us where in actual fact what's going on in our body we should know about it's our body and so when you start connecting with the water and the fluids within our body because I say to children because I teach um, in primary schools occasionally that I get invited in to do like a water science project mixed with an art project and I teach them how to do the work I do and I say to the children I pose this question if your skin was invisible and if your organs were see-through what would you look like and the children always end up saying they'd look like a stream or a tributary or a river one boy said I'd look like a brain-shaped cloud with electrical rain raining raining all the way through this human shaped body I'm like wow that's pretty amazing. Yes. And that then led me to wanting to investigate for myself if water could store or hold memory. And I always invite people to research for themselves. Don't believe everything you've read. If you can, do it yourself. Find out what you actually know to be true, not what you've just been told to believe. And so... Yes, that's very relevant today. <laughs> Yes, I think it's always it's always relevant, always. but particularly particularly in this uh, climate. I have and, a question about your healing with that water. Do yeah. you now it, that was you went to it because of the alkalinity being so alkaline at nine point nine? 
Do you think that you could have achieved the same healing if you had an alkaline alkaline water machine making very alkaline water, or do you think it needed to come from that source specifically? Uh, I, I I have a lot to say about that. Um, so to start with, I will say that I think water and nature go together. Nature doesn't make mistakes in in the, in this way. Everything in nature is provided in a very specific way. And there are healing waters and there are waters which are good for lots of other different types of things. Each water source has its own specific purpose. So what I would say, and, and also I told you um, that I tried lots of different alkaline waters yes. before I found this. One of them was I used someone who had given me Kangen water to try and had made that a very, at, at, at um, pH 10. Okay. Uh, uh, I tried it in 9.5 and then someone was able to make it a 10. I tried both. And actually mostly what happened to my body was that um, I mainly got, I got headaches. And so I thought, well, maybe I'm purging, getting these headaches, but nothing, I didn't see anything. Um, and so I, I can actually say I've tried it for myself and I saw nothing specifically different happen in my body at all apart from that I got headaches however as I said I've mentioned I've, I've, I used to work for this this couple and um, we were working towards a very conscious kind of um, area around water I won't get into what it was um, but I did uh, tests on ionized water at set to specific pH levels and compared it to natural waters at the, that naturally occurred at the same pH levels. And so I was able to look at what they do structurally. And so what they do structurally is very interesting. The natural high pH waters, I think I, I did um, an 8, an 8.5 and a 9. And these natural patterns that form, form in hexagonal shapes or burn shapes or flower shapes. They're extremely beautiful. But when I did the exact same tests using the same method with the ionized water, what I saw was water that looked almost identical to the water that had been sitting next to a 5G tower. Oh, and I saw that video that you did on your site. You guys, by the way, betaaustin.com. Go look at the pictures, the videos, the examples by the book. Amazing. And that water is not pretty. No, and it's, and it, it's, it's having a reaction to the electromagnetic frequencies. And so ionizing water. So one of the things I'd like to also say without meaning in any way to offend anybody. I'm simply speaking from my own personal experience from having drunk it, but also from having done the crystallography of this work and having researched comparisons for, to quite a large extent. Um, what I've observed is that when you imagine that you're electrocuting water, we're bodies of water, we kill it, we, to kill people, we use an electric chair. The electric chair works because we're bodies of water. When you put an electrical charge into water, something happens, it has a reaction. In this particular situation, water splits into an alkaline stream and an acidic stream. 
what these ionizing machines are doing, they're not, they say, it's, you can say, I'm not going to use brands, but there's one brand which is, which is well known, to say it's this type of water. Actually, you're selling a machine. The water that went into that machine is tap water. The water that came out of that machine is altered tap water. The water that's gone into the machine was filtered, so then it's a filtered tap water. It has then been ionized, and often the, to make ionization process work, you have to add a certain amount of salts. And so everything bad is taken out, everything bad, essentially any things that's not good for the human body to drink is filtered out. But often what's filtered out is things that might be good in certain minerals and salts. And then you have to add the salts and things back in. And then the water is electrocuted to go through a process to split into two streams. And then you have this acidic stream that if you don't use it, then it's just acid waste. And if you do use it, then at least it's something positive. The only, and, and so then I also compared longevity of pH compared to ionized water and uh, naturally alkaline water. And I got a lot of information simply from going to various different ionizing machine websites. And they will say, and I've tested this myself as well, so it isn't just from what I've read, but the, the information is there, that the pH and ORP, and I mentioned that earlier, it means oxidation reduction potential. If it is if there is a negative oxidation reduction potential, it means that your water is an antioxidant. If it is in the positives, it means that your water is an oxidant or whatever fluid or liquid or food it is. So the pH in the ORP of ionized water starts to reduce within hours and days, depending on what it's contained in and how much um, air it's exposed to. I have a test of the water that helped heal my body um, that I've been doing each year now for the last eight, nine years. And the pH of that water has only dropped by half a percent. So its pH originally was 9.9 .9, and so it's only gone down a little just so it's just now a 9.2 something like that it's for eight years for eight years and the reason that it holds its alkalinity is because when water becomes alkaline it's as it's gone through its process of movement often underground through aquifers it picks up the minerals and the lime and these various things that help water, and bicarb, which help water become and stay stably alkaline. And so that was one, uh, one of the many comparisons I did. How do you store it? What's it, just in a So, so for, yeah, for me, like with that, with that, with water That's generally. Yeah, but the water I test is always kept in a dark container in glass. Um, uh, and in a dark, um, I keep it in a cupboard so it's not exposed to light because otherwise it's going to grow algae. Right. So these are what living waters, a lot, I would suggest that anyone who's actively collecting spring water, as long as you know that it's safe and it's, it's past different, you know, you don't want to be drinking 
river water because it could have contaminants and things like that. But make sure your water's safe to collect. Um, but then if once you've collected it, I would always advise keeping it in a blue glass or green glass container or at the very least keep it in the dark because light will activate it to come, the, anything in it to start to bloom. And right. so that's a weed. I have a question on that because we collect our spring water about an hour away. There's a lovely spring that we've been getting it for years. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we'll get 18 to 20 carboys and it's storing in our basement, some in plastic, unfortunately, and some in glass, but in the basement in the dark. And we yeah. use that and it's never been here. We've never had a problem with anything. It doesn't grow anything, but is that, I, I always wonder what is the quality of that water from day one to, you know, at the end of the month or whatever, when we've run out of that or we're at the end of that water, like, has it really, it's in a house where there's Wi-Fi. It's, you know, like, is that the same water mm -hmm. after all that time? Mm -hmm. um, well, I have something to say about that too. So let, don't let me forget to come to that. Okay. okay. So um, I would just say that the, the other things that I've observed is something um, of which I think is just also just important. So there's a man called Marcel Vogel. And he, if you, he's not so well known, but I really think he should be. He worked for IBM for years and years and years. And he's really quite an incredible man. And he started to really design and, and understand, not design, but understand how crystals work and the molecular structure of crystals and the crystals and water. And what he said about ionized water is that it has an electrical charge, but it has no structural information. And that is in complete alignment with the work that I've done with water, natural alkaline water and ionized alkaline water. And it's not all about the alkalinity. What I would say is that one thing that ionized water does have that also naturally alkaline water has is negative charge. If you have a negative ORP meter reading, it means you have negative charge. And that's a very positive thing for the human biosystem. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something that is important. I would say that ionizing water systems, what they also do is make molecular hydrogen. So that is also known to be helpful for the body. So some of the most beneficial things I think you actually would be getting from an ionizing machine would be negative charge and uh, molecular hydrogen. Not so much about the pH, not so much about all these kinds of things. That would be what I would say about that. However, I've tried molecular hydrogen, the one that you actually breathe in through your nose. And um, I've tried many, many things and I've been asked to promote many things. And it's very rare that I haven't would actually come on board with anything that I didn't believe in. And so I also had my children breathe in molecular hydrogen and they felt sick, which was, which was, they probably didn't need it. Um, my eldest son didn't, he felt fine, but didn't feel anything. And I also didn't observe anything noticeable. And I tried it every day for a month. But then I'm also generally fairly well in good health. So it's very difficult to know, it'd be a subtlety. Um, so, but there are many reports to say the molecular hydrogen is very, very good. And so I think that without being able to go too far into that, having not been part of the team for molecular hydrogen and doing all that research, there is a lot of evidence to say that it's a positive thing for the body. And so 
that's where I'd say about that. But there are some some of the most healing waters in the world that that are considered um, sacred sites. Um, you'll find that they also have dissolved hydrogen in them, and so. All of these things are interesting because nature does create this. And the reason for the whole process of ionization is because in the earlier part of the 19th century, scientists went to um, speak to a group of people that live in northern, northern Pakistan in the Hunza Valley. And they, have a, they live in a blue zone, which is where the longest living people in the world live to the greatest health. And they observed that they all drank this glacial water, and they 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 basically put it down. Their long health, their longevity, and their health was because of the type of water that they drank. And this type of water had these properties that um, the ionizing machines have tried to replicate in a lab, but ultimately they're replicating something that nature created in the first place. So, I think there are different healing waters around the world. And this is, of course, a very first world thing. We're talking about all these different types of waters that we're able to have access to, whereas many, many people in um, other parts of the world simply are asking, what water can we get? What water can, what, what water can we drink? Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. Okay. There's so you asked me a question just before. Yes, about the spring water. And so what is the quality of spring water from day one of collection to after it's been sitting down in our basement for a month or sometimes maybe longer, depending on how much we get? I asked, my, to it. I asked myself that question um, right back at the beginning when I started to use this water because I was collecting it direct from source and drinking it straight away. And I started to, um, but and then when I started giving it to other people, I had to hold it for longer periods of time, so until I could come and collect it and various things like that. And I asked myself that question because as you start to get an idea of what ordered or structured water is, it's a very blanket statement: structured water. And if water is, in um, constantly updating its information every trillionth trillionth of a second, how can it have the same structure um, if it's constantly being updated or influenced from different environments and different things? And so I, I, I kind of was really asking, how can anyone say that water structured if it's been sitting on a supermarket shelf, you know, in um, artificial light, in a, in a um, clear bottle? How can anyone say that it's structured how are you testing for that? So on one hand, you can say that structured water is fourth phase water and test to see whether it has those particular um, characteristics of fourth phase water and if you've got access to a microscope and different in a lab and you can test it, but not many people have that option. Um, otherwise, you can just imagine that it's that it's there and hope that your consciousness is helping it to be st more structured and ordered. However, I found a way to observe whether something is structured and ordered, and that is with the crystallographic method that I have. Certainly, you can see whether something has a a beautiful structure, which, for example, spring water straight taken straight out of the spring and frozen will form huge 
hexagonal patterns that take up sometimes the entire petri dish. And as there's different types of springs, they express themselves differently and they can form these flower-like images and fern-like images and they're incredibly beautiful. But as water starts to deteriorate in its structural integrity, it starts to lose the ability to create those designs. And so when you have a highly ordered and structured water, it is already in the, has the ability to design and create this blueprint that it comes with from, from, from its pristine environment. And so I'm like, okay, I'm collecting water from a pristine environment. I know what it looks like, but, you know, does it degrade? And so then I started to look into something I'm really interested in too, which is salt. And if you think about the human body, we are essentially water, salts, minerals, and consciousness. And salt, just like water, is kind of an immortal thing. I find it interesting because water can be polluted, but then eventually it will evaporate and it will come back into a state of reincarnation. You can put salt into water, it will dissolve. You can still taste it if there's a lot of that salt but you can't see it anymore. But water then has become a liquid crystal because salt in all of itself is a crystal. Crystals store vast amounts of information. When you add it to water, which has the potential to hold vast amounts of information, you have a liquid crystal. And that is essentially what human beings are and all life actually. We have the ability to store and hold vast amounts of information. And so I thought, how do I keep this water that is so perfect in its structural integrity and its life force energy, how do I maintain that for a lengthy period of time? And so I thought, well, what if I make something called soleil? What if I add a certain amount of soleil to this water? And I want to see if this works. And so I made a soleil. To make soleil, you basically just get a jam jar, I just used a glass jam jar, and you put chunks of the best quality salt you can find. So, and not the thinly ground ones, like the chunks, because sometimes with those thinly, tiny ground, ground ones, parts of the machinery can actually be minutely found amongst the salt. Oh, wow. So you don't want that. So you want these big chunks, and then you pour the best water you have into um, to fill up three quarters of the jar and you let it sit for a day or two and after a while you'll notice that say it's some kind of pink salt pink Himalayan salt or something the water will just be pink but there will be kind of a residue of the salt on the bottom and that means that the water can't absorb any more salt it's as salty as it's going to get and that essentially is soleil and so I worked out the exact proportion of salt to add to the water per liter so that it essentially replicated the, the type of salinity of the blood. And when I did that, I had an inner knowing that what I was doing was holding, helping the water to store and hold its information. And then when I did the, the work that I do and I was able to sh test that water and then test it a month later, I could see that it had held integrity. It wasn't the perfect huge hexagon, but it still held hexagonal shapes. So it was still in a good integrity. 
But even more than that, because as the man I mentioned, Laurent Costa, earlier, who had taken microscopic photographs of, um, of water and he saw in faces and fish and hearts and things, he invited me to send some of my water over to him so that he could photograph it. And so I, I thought, oh, this is such a wonderful opportunity. So I sent one water which had no soleil and one water that did. Granted, this water already has natural minerals and salts in it, but the soleil was made in a specific way so that it actually um, intentionally, and intention is a big one, it does go a long way, um, held the structural integrity of the water in, in, a, in a way in which I had made it very much akin to the human body, so far as it being the same salinity as blood. And so I sent these two samples off to him, one with salt and one without. And I was already thinking, God, you know, they've got, it's going to go through all the EMF of the plane, and it's like all the way to France from New Zealand, and then it, it, it didn't get to him. It, got, it went all the way to France, went to some different, some wrong address or something, got sent back to New Zealand, and then I, and then I sent it back to him again. So it had, had double the amount of radiation through planes. And when he photographed the water, those two waters, what he found was that the water that had the most incredibly beautiful structural integrity microscopically was the water that had had the soleil. And so that then made me feel very self-assured that what I was doing in this process was helping the water to essentially preserve its structural integrity. Right. That's amazing. That's, so can you just put that soleil in as you consume it or should you store it with it in there? I used to like the idea of it being stored. So then it's, it's actually, um, it really does make a difference. So I used to give this water to a lot of people. And when I started adding Soleil, I think what it really did was add some more type of information into the water that helped emphasize what was already present. It acted as, think of it as it's an electrical component and it's a crystal storing information. And then there's a sharing of information going on between the salt and the water. And so there is then this recognition of information and that's then amplified through these this marriage of salt and water because i always put salt i'm drinking we ran out of spring water and i'm drinking water that's that bought and i always add salt to it but i add it as i drink it and i have it sitting on this little because we're in wi-fi land i have it on this it has like essential oils and crystals and all this stuff in there to try to keep its original or energy to it but yeah. okay so let's talk about your work like you're actually like the pictures that you take and the videos that you do and just seeing like clearly water knows like there's intelligence in there and like we used to have a water egg like that victor schauberger is the, the water. I love those yeah fortunately it broke and we never replaced it but i do want to get another one but yeah. i know it, it, it but that water would taste different we would do experience experiments with that drinking that water or water straight out of a different source or whatever but your water clearly shows your work clearly shows there's intelligence there's information there's i, I can't even explain what 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 it is and, and i'm so curious what does that mean for us and in the consumption and that we're full water and even i'm curious as well as 
if you started doing this before you had your baby, so did you do something with, there's so many, I have like so many questions about like how we impact the water in the womb as our babies are developing and, and what does that mean for a world that's so stressed out right now and what's that doing to the water in us and the water that we consume and so, but first let's talk about your work and what people can see from it and, and how crazy it is because when I try to explain it to people, they, they don't get it until I'm like, okay, just look at the picture yeah, and, and see what, what it's doing. It's, it's, it's irrefutable right that that's yeah I, I mean I have loads to say on all of that um, but we'll start with the work and so as I said I was I was inspired by these pioneers these three pioneers mm -hmm. in the realm of water and memory and, and and visual memory it's almost like saying that your thoughts are crystallized in front of you and so I wanted to see for myself, so I had, a, I had, I, I have, just so people know, because I get asked this a lot, do you only use the water that healed you to do these, these tests, these, this work with water? No, I use lots and lots of different waters. Is that type of the water the only kind of water that heals you? No. There is different kinds of water that will resonate for you. They're often from your place or your country of birth. If you find that type of water, look where you were born that kind of red there'll be a resonance there with you and that water system that just seemed to be the one that worked for me and everybody who's who I did work with had come from New Zealand and so I would say that don't feel that this is the only water that's going to heal you it's not true there are different waters around the world that will heal you but you have the power within you to heal you through the water that you are and so I started, though, with, the, with that water because I thought it would be a good place to start. So I had a Petri dish. And so my thought was that looking at all of those people's work, the, um, the magic was in the freezing process. So I didn't have a microscope back then. Um, so I thought, well, you know, I'm just, but I had hope because Thomas Hieronymus had seen large imagery um, when he'd gone to, um, that meat market and so um, I thought well I'm going to project a thought into this water I'm going to put it into my freezer I'm going to pull it out and see what happens that was really the most organic thought I had and I had no expectation of what would happen next so I was holding the petri dish of water with my hand and I noticed a bit of fluff floating around in it so I was like oh my god so I put my hand in to take the fluff out and I consciously thought, I wonder if my hand will have any impact on the water's quote-unquote memory because I didn't really know if it was real. And I put it into the freezer with the frozen peas and the ice cream and the cauliflower bits and all that. <laughs> and it was on a flat surface, but they were around it. And I left it and I forgot about it. Um, and then a few hours later, I was like, okay, I'll go and check out that, that ice sample. And so I pulled it out of the freezer and I held it up to the light and I took a photograph on my iPhone, which has been the photograph that led me on this journey. And what I saw that took up half of the Petri dish, so in macroscopic terms, this is huge because the Petri dish is about the size of my hand, was an image that was so obviously a hand 
that it was, I actually, I took a photo of it, as I said, and I showed it to my son, Rama, who didn't know what I was doing at all, didn't know what he was looking at. And I said, hey, Rama, what does this image look like to you? And he said, looked at me like I was stupid. He said, like, it's like a hand, mum. <laughs> and I'm like, I know. But what's curious about it is that I have inherited my mother's slightly crooked fingers. Oh, okay, yeah. And so the hand was relative to my hand because the fingers bent in the same places where mine do. And it looked like an x-ray of a hand, but it was clearly a hand. And so then I was kind of freaked out, actually, when I saw it. And it kind of was like, oh, God, I don't know if I was ready for that. <laughs> and then my curiosity and excitement got the better of me. And so then I went to the ocean and I thought, well, if any water's going to be informed, surely it would be seawater. And it would be naturally informed by the organic creatures and seaweed and things like that that are in the ocean and so I brought it back and I, I put a thin layer of seawater into the petri dish and froze that and in the dish I saw this perfectly round eye and this fish shape with fins and gills and a tail and I'm like oh my god there's really something here and then my freezer became my most used household appliance. <laughs> and I'm constantly doing all, these, um, all this work. And I keep seeing this incredibly sophisticated imagery appear. And I did that for about a year and a half until I started wondering, you know, am I missing something here? And it was at that time that I was really studying this fourth phase of water. So as water goes from molecular chaos, which is, is what it is as a liquid, and goes into a more ordered structure, which is what it is as ice, what is the state in between? This is the state, the sort of fourth phase of water as it transitions into a solid. This is the space of creation where water is able to reveal what information it's absorbed. And so... I'm thinking, I think I might be missing this stage by completely freezing water. Yeah. And that was that point where my technique changed dramatically. My technique was just simply freezing water before. It wasn't really a technique, it was just what I was doing. <laughs> and then I started opening my freezer earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier to see what was going on. And then I started to realize, hey, hang on, within five minutes, it looks like water's already formed an ice architecture, but there's this liquid on top. What's going on here? And so I would pull that dish out and tip away the water that was liquid, and I saw this incredible architecture on the eye, on the on the petri dish, and I started photographing that. And that's where I started to see that the real imagery is designed within minutes. Water is so fast to design. And when you remove that cloudy layer that you see when water freezes, and then you're starting to reveal this kind of um, life force uh, crystallography, which is just so much more 3D. There's more light can come through the dish because there's less ice. So the light plays on all of the different shapes and structures. And then you start to see water revealing information in an entirely new, next level way. 
and I teach people how to do this work. I do workshops and I, people can get the technique off my website and stuff because I want other people to learn it, to see that this is a real thing. But I always advise people as they're beginning the work, even if they have a really strong bond and connection to water, not to expect water to do what you want it to do. This is not love. Right. Yes. Water is always showing me the path of love with everything it does, simply by being what it is. In that respect, what I mean by that is that I have learned that if I expect water to do anything, it will not play with me. If I'm in a state of frustration, which isn't that common, but I have children and life happens and sometimes, you know, people have asked me to do work for them and there's, I have a lot of stuff going on. I can feel sometimes in the state of frustration and if I'm silly enough to, to do work with water in that time, water reminds me it will not actively participate. Therefore, it holds me to a state of a, a better vibration. It's very compassionate. If I am sad, it will still respond. It doesn't, it's not in judgment. It simply won't resonate at a lower frequency of frustration or anger. And so I have found that over this course of time, water has revealed this path of love. So when I say to people who are just starting out, as you develop a bond with water, simply see what water will show you, what patterns it naturally forms. Start becoming interested in water as if it was someone you're beginning to get to know. Get to know water and get to know what it naturally does. Get it, see what it wants to show you. Don't have the expectation that you are the controller. You are a body of water simply relating to another body of water that just doesn't happen to be in a body that we can see or understand. Mm -hmm. It is, we use this term body of water for lakes. And so it's even in our terminology that water has some form of body. And so, but water outside of the body, I believe is the observer. And so this makes sense to me when I start going into different realms. So when water enters into the human body, it goes from the observer um, into a place where it's sort of able to um, kind of observe all of the feelings of the human. So it merges with the water within us. And within us, we have the self-preservation mechanism. In the human body, we naturally want to stay alive. There is often an, an innate fear of dying. And so we will always be protective of this human vessel, which is one of the reasons we're so attached to it. We've spent so long preserving it. And so when you're in this kind of uh, water enters into this vessel, and then when it exits the vessel, it is released, released from the energy of fear of the losing the body. And then it becomes back into its state of awareness or observation. But it has experienced all of what the human has experienced through the mechanism of thought. And so within all of that, when I've spoken and interviewed several people that have had near-death experiences, 
And many of them will say that they felt that their body, that they left their body and they observed their physical body being resuscitated or whatever. And they had no attachment to that body. In fact, many of them say very much the same thing. Oh, that poor person, I hope they're going to be okay. They're not identifying themselves with the physical body anymore. So then, if water really is the observer, and as water, it could well be that upon death, just like there is two types of water that I've observed in the Petri dish, I think there are probably two types of water in people. Bulk water, the water that simply state keeps us hydrated and moves through us and excretes through urine and, very, and through sweat in various ways. And then there's this essence water, this essence spirit molecule or conscious molecules that are within us, that always stay with us, that came, have always been with us and that are collecting all our memories. And so that essence, I believe, because we've only discovered four phases of water so far, and water itself is an alien substance because it doesn't just come from clouds. It originated from meteorites and asteroids, and it, it doesn't comply to the laws of physics and gravity. It is the rebel element in that if we don't hardly even know where water originally came from, we can't even identify that. And we know so little about it, it seems highly plausible that it has more than four states. And I think it's highly possible that the essence of who we are, or potentially water could be the glove on the hand of consciousness, it could well be that that's why the two are always intertwining, and that perhaps it's a liquid within us, perhaps it's a gas within us. Water is in multiple states. And then as it leaves or exits the body upon death, or perhaps the body dies when it leaves, it is either A, a liquid that then converts into a gas without needing to go through boiling. And as a gas expands, it cools, which explains why people might feel spirit as cold. It would explain that observer sensation of coming out of the body. If water is the observer, it is then observing at the physical body. It is having this kind of experience. Or if it's a gas in the body, it simply exits the body and a gas again will rise and have an experience of observing. All of these things make sense to me. And so I don't, I, then I'm bringing it back to the people that are beginning to work with water. If you start to see water in a way in which you are communicating with um a conscious energy which is of a high vibration, which is able actually to give you answers um, to questions you might have. And I can talk a little about, about how you can identify those through the work I'm doing now called hydroglyphs, that I named called hydroglyphs. Um, but also, when you identify what your water naturally does, when you then do something different and you then really connect with water in some way or you then use some kind of vortexing system or sound bowl or whatever and you see water's structures change, you've got to know water well enough to know that something changed. And that is a way you can identify that you have 
um, there has been something that has impacted water for it to to vibrate differently or for it to, to reveal something new to you. So we get very caught up in we're influencing the water to we're programming the water. We use all this terminology, all of things we don't want to happen to us. Right. It's very, very interesting right. how we yeah. use this term. I'm programming the water. I'm restructuring the water. I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I know I'm experimenting on the water. That's why I don't use the word experiment because I'm a body of water again that doesn't want to be experimented on. We don't consider ourselves to be bodies of water because when we look in the mirror, again, with our fourth phase water eyes, we think we're so solid. We're only a cut away from leaking. And so if, if the eyes are windows to the soul, then tears are an expression of spirit. And I actually believe that tears essentially are emotions that we can actually see and taste because water wells up in us at our highest and saddest emotions. When we're most happy, tears come out of our eyes. When we're very sad, tears come out of our eyes. There is this welling within us that happens where we pull from this well and these tears appear, which are like liquid emotion. And so- Frozen your tears? I have. Um, I was cutting an onion and I usually have a petri dish of water somewhere close by <laughs> and, and there was and so I just let some of the tears go in because I didn't want to waste them. I thought I wonder what will happen and I froze it and this, um, it really, it's, it's on my Instagram page and my book and stuff. It's basically um, my iris that appeared with the pupil inside. Wow, wow, it was wow, wow, wow. really incredible. So then Just I... Quickly question, does the material of the petri dish matter? Is glass or plastic? I always advise people to use glass. The, the reason for that is glass is essentially made of silica and silica is a crystal. Crystals help store information. It helps the water store information longer. It's also a very nat more natural substance than plastic. Um, and so, in fact, one of the ladies I'm, that's helping me work with some of this hydroglyph stuff used plastic and she didn't get very good results, but as soon as she changed to glass, she started getting amazing imagery. So it really um, proved to me that what I was experiencing was in fact true for, for most people. Um, so then I started wanting to see if water could um, sort of take on human features, so identify human faces. So. This was when I had started to develop my technique, the newer technique. And so I got lots of different people's photographs and I put my petri dish of water on top of the photograph for 30 seconds. People always say, why 30 seconds? I can't tell you why. That's just a number I happen to like. I also have done it for two seconds and it's worked just fine. I just, for some reason, like 30. And so I've removed it, frozen it using the technique, pulled it out, photographed it. And I've given many examples uh, on many different podcasts and in my social media platforms of different facial features being presented that are uh, very much akin to the photograph the water was shown. Um, I've also kind of put in the different emotions, the emotion of love. Um, I've asked water questions and got intelligent, incredible responses. 
I've um, put my petri dish of water in front um, of different movies and it's actually shown me there's one where I watched Batman the Dark Knight you can tell I've I've got children and um, and so often they help me decide what to do and Batman appeared in the eyes literally it's really amazing to see it I've done Avatar and you saw this incredible Avatar face appear um, I've it's it's done all different genres and so and music music's a great one and I've done a lot of repeated studies so Dr. Gerald Pollack that I've mentioned he's my mentor in many ways and he's been so supportive of encouraging me to for with this work and he said look your repeated studies are really important because what they're showing people is that this isn't coincidental. 16,000 photos of water responding intelligently through this artistic expression is also suggesting that it's not coincidental. I would say that just off the bat. But I, I really appreciate his input because he's right. What I will say is that water um, is like an artist and, and is like many different artists. So for example, you might have a room full of artists and the teacher will say, I want you to paint, everybody paint this cup. And everybody's picture will be different, but everybody will be painting a cup. So when I do repeat studies, for example, the sound of OM creates these circular kind of patterns that look a little bit like rings in a tree trunk. Mm -hmm. But they're all slightly different, but you can still see that all of them have these certain rings. So they're never identical, but they're always of the same image. So I don't take hundreds of photos per and just choose the best one. Emoto was criticized for doing that. Not saying it's wrong or right, I'm just saying um, Jerry Pollack really wanted me to emphasize that I don't, nor can I. Emoto had a cold room. They do all their work in a cold room. I do this work in the kitchen. And, it's, <laughs> and so ice melts fast, especially when you do it in summer. Right. And so you don't have the opportunity to take hundreds of photos. I don't have some big fancy camera. I'm just using my iPhone. I'm holding the Petri dish and I'm taking photos on my iPhone. I take around between one and three or four photos maximum per dish before it starts melting and so within that it sort of doesn't leave much room for um, for just choosing best photos they're all basically much of a muchness and so what I've seen over and over and over again is that with different inspiring influences uh, and suggestions like for example if I use the same song then this is a good segue into hydroglyphs. If I use the same song, um, I will often see a similar result if I do that test multiple times. One of the tests I've done many, many, many times is the song Stairway to Heaven. I would look at that, that stairway, some of it, it's like, it's like somebody drew in a perfect stairway. Yeah. So what I kept seeing, as you just mentioned, I kept seeing a stairway appear in these ice images. But it made me think, I wonder if water is just picking up on the word stairway. Does it mean stairway? Right. So I 
wrote the word stairway and I put my petri dish of water on top of the word stairway and sure enough I got the stairway and then I did that again and then I did that again and then I did it 50 times and every time I saw a stairway so then I got to the point where I'm like I can identify that the stairway image in the ice which I call a hydroglyph means stairway so then I thought what else could stairway what do you do with a stairway you climb up so I wrote the word climb up with the words and I got the stairway and I did that again and I did it again and I did it 50 times and it kept doing it and then I thought oh, I'll just get crazy here and I'll see see if I can you know um, just see if water will, will just if it's just in the mode of designing stairways or you know or is this actually intelligent? So I wrote the word light bulb. And I, <laughs> and I didn't get a stairway. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, it's not just only doing stairways all day long now. It is. Did you get a light bulb? I, I did. I did actually. But I haven't done light bulb over and over again. I just, it, it's a very lengthy process. And so, but over the course of time and over the eight and a half years of doing this, I have seen images appear um, and multiple times. So I started to go, okay, well, let's look at the dagger because I see these daggers appear in other samples and I see them a lot. And the very first test I ever did was when people were asking me, can water recognize other languages? Of course, water isn't actually reading the word, it's reading the energy of the word. So of course it understands different languages. So I wrote the word Pugioni, which is Latin for dagger. And I did the process and I got a dagger in the ice. But then I started seeing these other daggers kind of appear and I'm like, I am not seeing daggers everywhere around me. Like, what does that actually mean? Right. And so I started, I, I did the process. I began the process of discovering a hydroglyph for the word dagger. So I wrote the word dagger in English and I got a dagger and I did it 50 times. Okay, it means dagger. Great, I get that. But what, it, what else does it mean? Because I don't know why I'm seeing this. Mm -hmm. And what does a dagger do? It inflicts pain. So I wrote physical pain and I get the dagger and I keep doing that. And I, I realize that, okay, this has layered meaning. It means dagger. It also means physical pain. And then I wrote emotional pain and I got the dagger and then I wrote danger and I got the dagger and so dagger has multiple different um, meanings so then I have this um, Facebook group with, for people with this which is specifically only doing this technique and have learned it and are sharing their work and this man shares with me his daughter's one he taught her how to do it in the crystal and she had you know her crystallographic image in the petri dish and I saw two daggers in a stairway and so I messaged him I said I don't know if you know about any of this work that I'm doing but could you tell your daughter just to be careful if she's climbing up something and he laughed and his he goes lol and responds to me straight away and he says we're going to this place called go ape tomorrow and where we're climbing up all these rope ladders and going and all of this, you know, doing this kind of crazy fun experience. I'll make sure she's super careful. 
So the water had used these hydroglyphs to actually give her a message for the future. Right. This is really interesting. Like, okay. Right? So that's like, yeah. Now it's time. It's information. It's feeling. It's it's what like. Yeah. So I have so I have these thirty one hydroglyphs now, and I was on an, an interview just the other day, and someone said to me, um, "Okay, so I, I had given the, like the dagger glyph." And he said, yeah, but you know what a dagger looks like. So maybe you're projecting the thought of a dagger and it's responding to your consciousness and blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know what matrix looks like. And I don't know what before and after Easter look like. And I don't know what pharmaceutical looks like specifically. And I don't know what X, Y, Z, da, da, da. So I have all these different hydroglyphs, many oh. of which I can't even, I don't have a picture for what they might look like. If I do, I know I'm off because what I've got is hydroglyphs don't look like what I would imagine them to. And so what's extra cool and confirming, because many people need that, is that there are two, now, now three people that I'm beginning to work with in this realm of hydroglyphs and, and imagery. Um, two, two women and a guy and a man and it's interesting, we're all seeing these same hydroglyphs and identifying them. Wow. One lady's in Slovenia, one man's in India, and the lady is um, somewhere in, um, in, in the US. And so it is a global structural picture language that is not meant to be spoken, it's meant to be felt. So essentially, this is a very similar way that hieroglyphs are designed, is that they're, they're actually kind of sharing an entire concept. So they're a conceptual, visual language that's designed to impact us. It's the same as the new hydro hydroglyphs or hieroglyphs of the day are emojis. So when someone sends you a text message, you read the message, blah, 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 I'll meet you at so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of that, they might put a heart and a, a, a one of those blocus emojis. And so when you look at the heart and you look at the blocus emoji, you feel something different than what you just read. So that then makes you go, oh, that's sorry, they gave me a heart, they must love me. And or whatever the thing is. Yeah. It's a visual language that we feel. Right. It's designed to make us feel something rather than intellectually dissect something word for word for word and what does that mean. That's one of the problems with, with text messages is that you can be so wrong about what you think that person meant in that message. If we had a picture language, it probably would be a little easier to understand and not get so wrong. Totally. What, is, what does matrix look like? I'm very curious. Um, the design. I'd show. I'd, I can. I can show you what some of the hydroglyphs look like if you want. Sure. Why not? Let's um, do that. Sure. I mean, I'll just. Okay. Um, I don't know. Can I share the screen? You have to make me a host so I can share, yeah. and I can just give you a little um, run through of them. Yeah, let me just figure this out. And people can get the hydroglyphs off my website as well. I've just put them on there for people to, okay. um, to actually get. So excuse the 
Okay. So, dun 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 go through the beginning. So, this is the hydroglyph for money. Um, it's essentially like a coin. And you could say, why would, why would water design money and abundance? So it's got two meanings, money and abundance. Why would water design a coin? Well, if you go back into history, there has been so long in history that people have been throwing a coin into water and making a wish, where people have placed coins on people's eyes to pay the ferryman to get across the river to get to the river Hades for so many years coins or the symbol of the circle have been used with water and people. So it's not surprising that the imagery that money or abundance might look like a coin. So as we go through... Just, for the people that are listening to this, if you want to actually see these pictures, go to vedaaustin.com on her website, or you can also watch this interview on my YouTube channel. Yeah. And the link, link is at sovereign.com collective.org and look at the YouTube uh, video and you'll, yeah. you'll see the pictures. So these are more examples of the coin. So you can see, I give more examples so people can see that it, they can look slightly different, but they will look similar. Right. Um, completion are these circles, the, I call them the empty circle. And you can see them here. Um, this conjoined circle means conception, which is very much like Ooh. what you might imagine. Yes. I'm going to skip through some of the examples because people can always go on my website and look at them. I mean, imagination is like a empty star, which is really beautiful. Um, so I'll go, this is an interesting one. So living, alive, death, gratitude, and healthy, this hexagonal shape. Wow. I write here, death is not mistakenly written here. Water simply does not recognize death as we do and suggests that life simply transitions like a liquid to a gas. Um, but I'll show you matrix because you asked. Um, I like this one though, free energy. Oh yeah. Um, and I love this one, which is the, this is um, hydroglyph for creation. <gasps> It's incredibly beautiful. Wow, isn't it? It is. And you can and this is the hydroglyph for message. Hmm. And so um, as we go through, this is matrix. Matrix is lots and lots of lines. Lines kind of over lines. Mm -hmm. So when I thought of that, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have thought of that, because often we're conditioned to the matrix movie and we're like oh, all these little lines and numbers and stuff like that whereas what has created a kind of grid which i suppose right. is still relevant right um, yeah. and there's different examples here oh, yeah. um and as we talked about the stairway and there's many examples here of the stairway um and then this is an interesting one for addiction oh what is addiction addiction yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, anyway, there's there's plenty, plenty there. But I will give you, an, I'll just show you the one I mentioned, I talked about. Um, so as you start to read them, since I did that, I discovered another hydroglyph, and I call it the long leaf. 
and it just even more gives power to the analogy I gave you about that, that man's daughter who was going to climb the, the climb up and be careful glyph. So this was his daughter's um, crystallography. You can see here there's two daggers and then there's the ladder. But here is another hydroglyph which I've only in, in the last year identified. Because um, again, I tell, it takes a long time to, to really say that I've got one. So right. they're all here. This one means to rise, to rise or to rise up, which is completely aligned with to climb up. Mm -hmm. So it was in the process of her climbing up that she needed to be careful. So um, this is a really sweet, sweet one. When you have a heart and a hexagon inside each other, it means love lives in gratitude. So I'll just come out of here here and move that and stop share. Yeah, so I mean, as you start to learn how to read the hydroglyphs, there are various things like one hydroglyph inside another means something specific. When there's two, say two empty circles, it it's actually means two times the, um, the imagination or the um, completion or the whatever the hydroglyph might be. So it's actually very interesting when you start reading it and then you start realizing how specific it is. So how does one use this information? Like, does one, like, so an interesting chat with my friend yesterday, I was telling her about the interview I was going to do today. Mm -hmm. And she was saying, she didn't understand this before, but she's from the Czech Republic. And there's an actor there who's well known and I don't know, he's a very healthy man. And he was asked one day in an interview, whether he supplements with supplements. And so what he does, for example, to supplement, say he wants magnesium, he'll draw a circle, he'll write in magnesium or MG, he puts his water on it, and then he drinks it. Like, can we do that? Does it change our mood? Does it, do, like, what is the meaning for us as a people full of water, with water everywhere, water in the air, water we're breathing out in our breath? What does it mean? How do we, how do we learn from this and use it to, better humanity. Mm -hmm. I think one of the um, greatest things we can learn from this living, this life force energy that's in us, but also outside of our body, is that we have not met our fullest potential, nor do we even give ourselves credit for having the ability to have the kind of potential we could, we, that, that we could only ever dream of. But if we can dream it, we can make it real. And so what I see with water is that what it's sharing with us is um, this energetic that it is so much more than we realize. So therefore we have underestimated ourselves as bodies of water. If water is so much more than we realize, then we are so much more than we realize. And then what are we? And so what you can do practically with this is I always suggest start recognizing who you are. When you look in the mirror with these liquid eyes and really look at yourself and imagine that your skin is invisible. Imagine that the leaf that you look like 
Look at all the moving water systems inside of that leaf. When you look at a tree, imagine the tree with all the fluid systems around it. Imagine your children as moving bodies of water and imagine even your unborn child in your stomach is also this body of water that is developing and growing. Bruce Lee says, be like water, become, water becomes the pot, it becomes the cup. We already are water, but are we like water? Mm. I think that we need to look at ourselves and rather than think, what can this water do for us, which is mostly what we think, what is the best water to drink to hydrate myself better? We're looking at it from a very scientific kind of point of view. What is the best restructuring system? What is the best thing we can do to this water that clearly we think has no intelligence? That clearly needs improving because humans have done stuff to it that isn't great. Or even in the best of water, we still try to do something extra to it to make it extra special, to give us a benefit. Right. So much of what we do is around how to, what can this do for me? Right. So often, even in our thinking, subconsciously, we're wondering, well, that's all very interesting, but how does this relate to me? Right. What does this mean to me? And so if we actually could see, and even if we can just kind of play with the idea that water could be its own in all its phases, and its different phases, particularly gas and liquid, and, and liquid crystal, in all these phases, like what is this water, why is it there? What is water? Someone once said to me, what if water is expressing its consciousness, because what if it is the handle, the glove on the hand of consciousness? Or what if it is a form of consciousness itself? What if, it, what if water is expressing its consciousness through every living thing on the planet to observe itself from every different perspective? Which is a very interesting idea. Because if we are these two immortals, and we're, everybody has seen so, so much fear around death and fear around all kinds of different things, but often the fear of being great fear of shining too bright, fear of standing too tall, which is an interesting thing to be afraid of, but most of us are very comfortable where we are. Water shows us that even from the smallest little drop is the information of all the rivers in the ocean. When water, the drop, or potentially the person, if you want to look at it in this analogy, the thought of the drop is falling from the sky, looking and identifying itself as the drop, and looking that it's heading towards this giant ocean going, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is so scary, like what's going to happen now, which is often how we are as people at the idea of death. Yeah. As we're falling, 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 sooner or later, it's going to happen, just like sooner or later, this physical body will die. Mm -hmm. But what happens is that the water becomes the ocean. And then it's not that it completely lost itself, but it completely saw how incredibly huge and powerful and special and amazing it is. It's not that it lost itself. It became 
itself. It became the ocean. The ocean is also the drop. And so this idea that we are sparks of the divine, but how often do we recognize ourselves as that? Because it's so easy to say it. There's another thing for this mind to kind of like just, this all the subconscious mind has got that program going on. But it's like this, Rudolf Steiner talks about that everything that has ever been created or designed in nature, including us, whatever we've thought has already been thought before. So he's saying that we've been created from a thought and that actually we pull our intelligence from nature, from source itself, from all the elements, not necessarily, maybe not just water, maybe from all the different elements have their own way of communicating. So I've discovered a way that water communicates in this intelligent manner. We're also minerals, and what way does that communicate? There is one thing this indigenous woman said to me, she, she said she used to speak to bees, and she used to, to watch beehives, and she said there was this hive, she was watching it for hours, because it's so fascinating, and this bee came out and said, we don't mind you watching us, but can you not watch us for so long because your consciousness is putting too much light into our hive. Wow. So when you put your conscious awareness into something, this is how you start to form this bond with water. You are actually, through your conscious awareness, giving light, more light to that water. And the more light that water can absorb, the more ability it has to store and share information. And so you're creating an environment which makes water able to share more, to actually connect to you more. Imagine what light it's sharing to you. I've observed and I've photographed, as water starts to freeze, it shoots these little wee icicle tendrils out. And it's like these little kind of um, seeker uh, ice shoots. But what's interesting is if you get it just right, you'll see that there is a light that emanates around the end of that icicle. And it's as if water uses light to create. And it's almost as if it has some kind of internal light source that it uses and to push out of itself to start designing more and more ice, using its building blocks of ice to design, to create. And what's so many people just sort of starting to get their head around the idea that water might store information. But going from like then for it to start to design geometries and then for it to sort of start designing faces and fish and hearts and then for it to start designing a language and then to start designing what our thought was in an intelligent manner. And I'm not talking imagery that you can't recognize or that maybe if you just kind of looked at it a certain way, maybe it looks like that. Right. Jerry asked me, Jerry Pollock asked me to do a survey. And in the survey, I put it together and basically it just says, what does this image look like to you? And there were 25 images. And I asked my friend to get it out through social media. So no one knew it came from me. No one actually knew they were looking at ice. No one knew what they were looking at. For, any, for all anyone knew, it could be some artistic kind of thing. Right. Just 298 people did the survey. 
And of all those 298 people, 85% of people were able to recognize all of the imagery relative to what the influence was. Three of those images, 100% of people recognized. So that ratio is a, is a huge deal that people are just simply doing image recognition with liquid water going in and ice coming out in certain shapes and forms. Okay, so the last area that I really want to get into quickly before we go, it's already been quite long, but about pregnancy. Like, I've always talked like what, like I created a program when I had my son, because I was like, this is insane. People, there's so much more to pregnancy and development in the womb and the quality of the birth and the quality of conception, everything. But there is a water, new water, body of water, gestating in water. And there's all this information coming at it all the time. Like, and you do work on fertility too. So I just, around that, how, what's, how big of an impact? Have you done studies into that? What do you know about the impact of water on pregnancy, fertility, gestation, forming consciousness, a new person? Well, there's, there's lots, lots, lots to talk about. And I'll try to keep it shorter because I know we've got less time. And I, I can show you some imagery, but I'll kind of go around. Um, I'll just share a little bit of what I've seen. In the, in, I, I, because I have had a pregnancy journey myself, obviously, you know, I was told I couldn't have children. Then I had my first son, but it took two years to get pregnant with my second son. And so I really wanted to understand what was going on with that. And was it that he wasn't ready to come in? Was it that I was trying too hard? Was my mind um, the problem? Is that constant, like, is it, is it now? Is it this month? And then you get your period and be like, oh. No, and then you feel like there's something wrong with you, and then you get into a spiraled pattern, and that just makes it even more difficult to have that resonance, resonance of fertility and, and just or just even being happy because you've defined your happiness with being able to get pregnant and your um, ability to be like a woman sometimes at your, of your ability to get pregnant even. To that degree, I've had some people be so extreme and feeling that they, if they can't get pregnant, then what use are they as a woman? Which is, the, they've said that to me, and obviously that is a really dramatic thing to say, but sometimes some people get so caught up in this one single-minded thought that their thoughts are what actually become the biggest problem. Right. And that kind of thinking is... A big problem <laughs> but it's real for some people and so what I have um, observed is often when you stop trying to get pregnant is when you get pregnant when you go okay I'm just going to be unattached to the outcome of this I'm just going to enjoy being with my partner I'm just going to change my environment in some way I'm going to just do something for me. I'm going to be focused on who I am and all this stuff. And bang, oh, all of a sudden you get pregnant. Because your mind has impacted, your, your environment has changed, your internal environment has changed based on what your thoughts about yourself are and where your focus has gone. And this is very important because water is sensitive to thought. And so if it's sensitive to thought, how does that impact the baby? And so, um, certainly a woman is, uh, this, this, I'll just, I'll share it with you really quickly. Um, it's probably just easier sure. for me. Um, 
um, where did I put it? Actually, I don't know where I put it. It oh. was somewhere obvious, but um, I must have put it into one of my millions of folders. But essentially, I had asked a pregnant woman, she was eight weeks pregnant, I believe, to drink some water, leave me some, and then I froze it. And what I saw in the ice was the baby at the exact stage of pregnancy oh. that she was at. Uh. So it was so interesting because the information was already there from just what it was passed down to from her drinking the water. The information was already throughout her entire being and passed on to the water in the cup. So I've done that several times and I've seen the same results. Also, I had a miscarriage a while ago, a while ago now, and um, I used a little bit of the blood and added it to water. And what I saw was this beautiful little baby that appeared in the crystallography. And you can see where it was had been attached to the uterus. It was so clear. And you could see its little face already and body. And so it was so clear to me that we are, we are bodies of memory. We are generating memory bodies. So when we began, this is now a memory. When I had um, a coffee this morning, it's now a memory. When I think back all about my life, it's all these memories that we pull up. Mm-hmm. And when something or some, when someone leaves, whether they are three months old or whether they are a little embryo or whether they are 112, what they leave behind in us is a memory and that memory keeps them alive in the fluid of our body and i believe that passes on when the fluid becomes a gas or transforms and so there was something very special within that sad time where i was able to see even in the blood the their memory is there and so I also did studies on, because I've always, always thought, much like I thought, well, if seawater would have a, like, be informed, surely amniotic fluid would be informed. Yeah. But I can't go chasing around pregnant women in the hope that their waters might break and I could catch <laughs> some. <laughs> I thought, what's the next best thing? So I started doing work with eggs because the egg yolk and then the egg white. So the egg white is much like the amniotic fluid. And there's two types of the egg white, just like there's two types of water and water, and there's two types of water and people. What I observed is that there is this gloopy, gelatinous part of the egg white that most people that have done baking or cooking would have observed. But there is a thinner layer, which is more like saliva. And when you freeze that, something amazing happens. That I was, as far as I know, I'm the first person in the world to have ever identified that, and I taught some of the team at the Pollock Lab how to do this. And I, I, I observed that from free-range, healthy, happy chickens, the, the eggs that they lay, the crystallography of the albumin of the egg white, forms six patterns. And often you'll see them all together. 
in the petri dish. Now, I may well actually have some imagery of this, which I think I will share because I don't normally share it, but I know where it is on this here, and it's I'll share it. An interesting test to see if the farmer or the source of the egg is actually what they say it is. So yeah. you go and freeze it, and you don't find what you're what you get. Absolutely. So this is um, the first um, image. So this is the first pattern that I see. It's called the volcano. I called it the volcano because it kind of looks like a volcano. Right. And you can see how beautiful it is. Yeah. Um, the next one is the feathering formation. So obviously this is very relative to birds. And within these images, what you'll see is that they, they are egg, quail, duck, and goose eggs. And they all produce the same type of patterns. This is the weave pattern. You can see that it has these incredible woven patterns. Mm -hmm. And the flower formation. And then the pollen, which I just call pollen, which is always found around one of these volcanoes. Um, the star hexagons. You see these, and then um, so this is what um, the free range, the free range um, chicken eggs look like. These are the kind of patterns that you would see in a happy free range chicken egg. Right. These are from cage tents. Aha. And all you see is this kind of gelatinous gloop compared to this complexity. Right. And so within that um, space, um, I keep having to move myself and stop this year. Um, what, what we find is that it suggests that trauma impacts the amniotic fluid and the amniotic fluid shares information to the, an, the, to the bird it could be a way that it also potentially shares ancestral information, and that could then lead into some of Rupert Sheldrake's work um, around morphic fields. But, and it's, and, and I mean, it, it, it seems quite clear that water within water, and within water, because if it's a girl, then the, there is the potential of life held within the eggs within the baby, the, the, the fetus even, right. and it keeps going, it keeps going like that. There's potential for life in everywhere you look, but there's the potential to absorb information. However, I think, and this may help, but I do, I do think that severe trauma can impact the child, and certainly the child's observation whilst it's in that, that protected space. Um, the child feels what the baby, that the mother is feeling to a degree because just like water doesn't read the word, it reads the energy, the baby, especially a child from, from zero up to six, is essentially just absorbing information and ob observing information and is copying what the parent is doing. And, allowing that and that not allowing it suggests that it has a choice but simply as being very much molded by the parents and what they tell it 
or the child to be careful of even. Bruce Lipton gives an analogy of a parent, a child comes out of the, the womb and they have the, the innate ability um, to swim. The child can uh, swim straight out, knows how, it, child, baby knows how to swim. You throw it in a swimming pool, sounds harsh, but loads of people have kind of get their little babies and it knows how to swim. But if a child is brought up till like five or six or something, and the parents are like, oh, no, she's near the pool. Oh, God, let's be careful. Oh, no, 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 no. And she's like been told that, being told and programmed that the water is dangerous. And then at five or six, right, it's time for her to learn how to swim. It's the, this, she's got to overcome this innate program of water is scary. And so we have this programming that happens. But also babies, I think, are very much in touch with the divine. They are encased in water. They're not breathing like we are. They're not observing the world in the same way that we are. So there is a protectiveness around them. And they, they and their fontanelles are open. And so you can see that when a new baby comes out, there's this kind of this fontanelle is open and you can see it's sort of moving. And I always connect feel like that was the, the, the part that is they're still connected to source mm -hmm. and so in that respect they really are very very aware of a spiritual realm at that time and because I've seen that water doesn't just stick in this realm I've asked water if it can connect to my mum before and she passed in 1999 most amazing angel that ever walked the planet for me and was my best friend. And when I lived in Japan, we used to write letters to each other before the days of cell phones and, um, and emails. And at the end of every letter, she would attempt to draw a circle. My circles were always terrible. And she'd do a heart in the middle of the circle. And when I froze the water and pulled it out, there was a misshapen circle with a heart in the middle. And I knew in that moment that Water is n not confined to the past, the present, or the future. It is not confined to this realm. It is past the veil. It can probably even be the veil. And in fact, I think then that there was a conscious, um, there is a conscious connection to all things that have ever lived in our living and will live. And so. I feel that being as mindful as we can, can when we are pregnant, but not scared that every little thing is going to impact the child. Mm. Because I think being scared makes us, that energy is way worse. It's a very destructive energy, that feeling of like, I'm so scared it's going to do this and it's going to do that and it's going to do that. That child has its own journey. It is in its own stream. It's chosen you with all the stuff we got going on. I think about that, that three, <laughs> three souls have chosen me with all the stuff I've gone through and we've all got stuff. It's what makes us human. It's what makes us amazing. It's what makes us relate to other people, have compassion for other people. You know, at the end of it all, even in the times that we live in now, what I keep seeing is that people at the end of the day love their families and love their children, love their pets and love each other. It's more 
it's, it takes up much less energy to simply be kind than it does to be angry and frustrated. That takes away so much energy. And so I would suggest that your child, as it's growing in the womb, is exactly where it's supposed to be. And in that knowing, you can rest assured that water hasn't made any mistakes. The divine has made no mistakes. It is simply up to you as to how you feel about you and how you feel about life. And so often we're in that so afraid of what might happen. We miss the what's happening right now. And it is the biggest thing to kind of bring yourself back into the moment. And that seems so cliche. Everyone says, oh, just live in the moment. It's so hard for a lot of people to do that when there's so much fear-mongering going on about what might happen to us. Um, if you don't do this and you don't do that, then this is going to happen to you, where it might not. Right. And the thing is, we don't know until we know. So until we know, there is this inner engineering that we have the ability of, of, of actually controlling or at least being aware of our thoughts. I always say thoughts are like clouds. Sometimes they can they move along quickly. Sometimes they get a little stuck and they fill up and they get dark and it has to rain. Ultimately, they're moving on. They're always moving on. They're our thoughts, but we're really the sky. Mm. And so allow the thoughts to go by. Remember that you are the sky in that analogy and that in fact, I think that, that these children coming through now, they really have come with so much wisdom. And what I'm hoping I can do through the work that I'm doing and working in schools is giving them an environment where they can remember what they already know to be true inside of themselves. It's for them to know if we build a new generation of children who recognize the power we're filled with, that they're filled with, not the kind of power that overpowers people, but the kind of power that turns on lights, that is illuminating. Then I think we're looking at a different world. If you see yourselves as these two immortal things, salt and water, you won't be so afraid of what death might happen. It's, I'd be more afraid of not truly living. Ah. Oh, and that's such a, an important, everything that you're saying right now is so relevant to right now, right? Yeah. People are not living right now because they're so afraid of dying or the imagery that children are seeing right now, like the ones that were born two years ago. Oh yeah. The imagery that they've seen their entire lives so far is so dysfunctional. It's so crazy and it's so disempowering yeah. and it's so not of what they are. So yeah. that work right now is so important to heal planet and humanity like and to, to to change the course of where i can only see it going if if we weren't putting our energy into that into that new generation as well yeah right well little little babies seeing their parents with a mask on is not seeing the all the expressions of the face yeah. it is it is very difficult for them going forward to be able to like there's so many kind of things we could get into and I realize our time is shorter but I think it's then up to it's up to the parents to start really questioning who am I am I thinking this thing 
because I've it's, it's, I've generated the thought myself. Is this, is this an original thought? Or am I simply actually programmed based on everything I've been taught, and everything I'm reading, and all of this research? Because for all the research in one direction, there's enough, the same amount, if not more, research on the other direction. Have I looked at everything? And actually, what do I really think? If you took all of everybody's opinions out of the equation, what do you think? People can't often are not given the opportunity or the environment to know how to think for themselves or investigate for themselves without all of the other information. And that these little children, to be able to give them the ability to think for themselves and grow for themselves and learn for themselves and be there as the supporting environment for that is... I think, a wonderful way for children to be self-inquiring, for children to be able to be empowered, because you don't want them to feel disempowered from the moment that they're born, because in the moment of birth, they're the most empowered, yes. beautiful beings of light and yeah. th that we're so graced with. 100%. Yes. Oh, well, that's a beautiful place, I think, to to finish up there, there's so much like there's like I had a I think we covered a lot of the questions that I that I had in there just in in what you were saying but it's just it it's it doesn't end where this topic goes <laughs> yeah. it just goes everywhere so if people yeah. want to learn more about you and connect about you I know I've said your website v-e-d-a veda austin.com um and so there they can find what and where can they find your book yeah um my book, if you, um, if you just, it, that's just, uh, oh, it's on Amazon, it's on, or you just Google the secret intelligence of water and you'll find it. Um, if people want to learn how to do this work I do with water, they can go on my website and they can download the PDF step-by-step -step guide or they can book into a workshop where I'll, I found that people get a lot of benefit from the workshop because you get the guide for free and then you get me and often the workshops are sh small and I and the hardest part with the with the crystallographic technique is actually in the freezing so everyone's freezer setting tends to differ so oh. you need to learn how to identify when water's got into those two parts those two types of water right. I, I kind of go through it with you so that everybody gets it right and then um, I've recently, and just in the last week, put up my hydroglyph, lists of hydroglyphs. So if you learn, know how to do the work, then you'll be able to start identifying hydroglyphs and reading the messages that water has for you. Oh, amazing. I have to admit, I did try it, but I don't have proper petri dishes. I was looking online today about petri dishes. That's why I want to know about the materials. Right. I want to yeah. find, I want to start doing that. I tried doing it like in a jar. See, a lot of the, the lady and the lady that's doing the work with me in Slovenia, Slovenia, for six months she was like, "Water just isn't doing anything. Like, why, why doesn't it like me?" And stuff like that. Right. And then now she realizes, and she started to see hydroglyphs. And she looks back at the six months of work she did, where she thought water wasn't doing anything, and she realizes it's been talking the whole time. Oh wow! Because people are so interested in just seeing the imagery, but yeah. when you go back and you see that there's actual glyphs. It's like, oh, right, I missed all that. Wow, that is so powerful. That is so amazing. Water is such an amazing substance, and we just mistreat it, I think. 
So thank you for enlightening us on the power and the intelligence and the beauty of water. That's such an important information. I mean, we're so a part, it's, it's a part of who we are. It's what we like. So, so yeah. thank you. I really appreciate all this time you spent with me today. I am very excited to share this with everyone and everyone <laughs> go check out our site, go get books for Christmas presents. I'm going to get this, uh, this interview out soon. So it's ready for before Christmas. If you haven't got those last minute gifts yet and try it for yourself, who knows? And just pay attention, pay attention the next time you're drinking that water and in your really bad mood or if there's been some bad energy in that room and maybe just give it some love or something. <laughs> yeah, I always say, what was the last word you spoke before you drink water? Right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so thank you, Veda, very much. I really appreciate your time today. It's my pleasure, thank you so much.